Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for September 10th, 2010. Let me go around the table and introduce the guys. We have Mr. Jeff Simpson, author of the fabulous Simpson on Vegas column over on my blog. Welcome, Jeff. Someone sounds like they're pouring their uh, cereal or something. <laughs> not me. I don't know. That's weird. weird I'm not thing. even moving. I'm just sitting here. All right. I don't know. Maybe that, I think it's Jeff, actually. Come on, Jeff. No, actually, I was getting a book out of a Borders bag. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, well, welcome, Jeff. Welcome. Greetings. All right. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not much. Happy to be here. Good to be back. All right. Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey, Happy New Year. Hey, Happy <laughs> New Year to you. My name is Hunter Hilligus, and you can find me at RateVegas.com. Um, quickly, a couple of announcements up at the top. Uh, Vegas Podcast Palooza, October 30th at the fabulous Flamingo. Um, you can go to VegasPodcastapalooza.com for the details. There is also a link to a fantastic room deal at the Flamingo. You can stay in a go room for like three or four bucks, or maybe a little bit more, but not much more. Um, it's a really good deal. Uh, if you're thinking of coming, you definitely should check it out. Um, so uh, that will uh, take care of you. If you're not going to be staying at the Flamingo, do not fear. You can still come to the show. Uh, we're just in the final stages of working out exactly how that's going to work. We're probably going to have you guys print out little ticket things in advance, but we're just making sure that it's all dialed in. We will announce those details very soon, um, but definitely come. You know, It's going to be fun. We're going to do our show. We're going to have a guest that's going to be engaging. Um, you know, we're working on the gas, uh, but it's going to be great. Um, you're going to love it. And then afterwards, there's going to be a little cocktail, you know, thingamabob where you can drink some and talk some and, you know, I don't know, jump in the pool, I guess. I don't know. The show's going to be at the Go Pool, which is a, a little sort of a little, um, adultish pool, I think, at the Flamingo. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. October 30th, Saturday. Um, you know, it's Halloween that weekend. It's a great time to be in Las Vegas. You should definitely come. If you don't come, I will block you. You will not be able to listen to the show anymore. So did you say the <laughs> did you say the show is going to be at the adult pool at the Flamingo? Yes, I did. That doesn't mean there will be nude people around. Uh, I think they're closing it for us. So <laughs> your clothing is optional, but um, you know, it's not. You know, being nude is not mandatory. Um, I forgot to suggest Holly Madison as a guest. <laughs> you know, it's ironic that you. <laughs> she, uh, that. she works at a at a uh, Harris property now. She yeah. does, and you know, it's it's possible that you might see her as a guest on another show. I don't know. None of the the guests haven't been finalized, but um, I'm sure that she would be a great guest if she was. It did end up being somebody's guest. Anyway. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about real quickly was uh, remind people that I'm giving away an iPad. If you have heard of the iPad, it's this kind of 10 by something-ish, a little gizmo that's made by this company up in uh, Cupertino. Um, I hear that they're selling a lot of them, so, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing. If you want one, uh, hey, don't pay for it. Just uh, fill out a bunch of reviews and make the whole uh, Vegas Mate thing a, a better deal, and then uh, you can get one for free. You might just win. So... Um, go to ratevegas.com slash blog. There's a link in the right-hand sidebar 
uh, with all the information on what you would have to do if you wanted to win a free iPad. I will be giving that away at the aforementioned Vegas Podcast Palooza, though you do not have to be present to win. But if you are there, you can pick up your prize right there in person. I will not make you wait. Um, so, yes, iPad, win one. Good. All right. Let's talk about some stuff. Announcements are over. So, I'm going to start off talking about City Center. Yay! City Center <laughs> is uh, MGM Resorts International's gigantic development that opened uh, December of last year. Um, over the past week or so, uh, there have been several new stories related to City Center. Uh, I published a three-part series on um, how some of the challenges of running city center in the current financial and economic environment may may be damaging important relationships that uh, MGM has with various groups, um, including their employees, their unions, their customers, their hotel partners, uh, the banks – uh, and a few others. their chefs, the retailers, condo owners. Basically, all these different people that are doing business with MGM or providing services to MGM uh, that are really essential in one way or another to their business and uh, the stresses that these difficulties have put on these relationships. And um, you know, the story was made possible uh, through some really, uh, really important information that was that was passed along um, that really gave a lot of new insight about really how bad things are inside the company, um, some of the drastic and dramatic things that they've considered to stop the bleeding, many of which they ultimately seem to have rejected, at least for the time being, but um, really shows how bad things are. Um, that's sort of my summary. Chuck, you've also been posting uh, some tidbits on VegasChipping.com uh, related to you know, sort of related to this theme. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the stories that you've been uh, that you've been covering? Well, uh, I think uh, a small, teeny weeny little piece of background information here is uh, we're we were the uh, the benefit the beneficiaries of a little bit of corporate espionage, and uh, it, it 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 gave us so much. Inside information into how City Center is doing, uh, right down to the numbers. Uh, that it, it, it. I came away from from reading these things with my jaw on the floor. I, I honestly could not believe it, and trying not to be too hyperbolic about it, you know, in posts over the past two or three weeks. But uh, it's it's. Tremendous! What uh, deep shiz these guys are in, uh, and how it's putting a stress on the relationships of the people who are running this operation. There, there are uh, occupancy levels are are dismally low, uh, seventy one or two or three percent, and that's with loads and loads of discounts. Uh, just to keep the place feeling like it's not a complete morgue. So the rates are low. Uh, they're basically giving things away to get people in there, and they're people in there. They're not really spending. They're they're closing 
restaurants for chunks at a time for weeks. Uh, they're cutting the hours of you know some of the top tier restaurants, closing them for a day, closing them early. They're causing uh, employees to take pay cuts. They're reducing the number of union employees. They're trying to get union concessions. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. They're trying every single thing they possibly can to come up with ways to save money to keep this thing uh, from from going under. And uh, it's coming at the detriment, I think, of the guest experience or could come at the detriment of the guest experience. Now, what I've been hearing from readers, we seem to have been having uh, uh, through the release of this information where we've generated a mighty large discussions everywhere uh, about – City Center and Aria in particular, and people seem to who have been going there in the last few months, summer travel season, um, seem to uh, people are coming back with you know no complaints. So perhaps they figured out how to right the ship with a really lean crew. Uh, but you know a lot of things are happening. One of, one of the things we mentioned is like the uh, as a, going along with the dining thing with uh, them cutting hours is they're actually. Figuring out ways to use uh, cheaper ingredients, uh, take some of the high-end things off of the buffet, uh, you know, because people aren't really using that space all that much. In addition, they're also doing a million-dollar renovation of that of the buffet. Uh, Vidara's Silk Road Restaurant is going to close. Um, it, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty tremendous. It is. I mean, and and you know, it's look. If it's funny because you look at Aria compared to their really their flagship Bellagio, which you know, Aria was intended to replace Bellagio as the flagship, uh, it hasn't gotten there yet. Um, you know, it, it's it's still nowhere near uh, as popular as as Bellagio is, and making nowhere near as much money. I mean, Aria is losing money. Um, but you know, it's only going to get worse. We've got the Cosmopolitan opening in a couple of months, um, and granted, it's not a huge property, and, and they still have to prove themselves um, going forward. But they are sh- making a strong showing out of the gate when it comes to early buzz and and marketing. So you know that that's not going to help no matter what. Um, it, it the the these documents really paint a picture of. A company that is just struggling, and it's you know it's on the backs of the employees that are being forced to do more work for you know the same basically you know no 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 increases in their pay over a fairly extended period of time, um, more part time work, uh, you know, eliminating some positions. It's just really tough, and. Um, for the for the employees that are that are pulling it off, if they're delivering good guest service in those conditions, I, I applaud them. But it's it's very difficult. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there's a couple of uh, fun factoids, like you know, guests winning millions of dollars at Aria, walking next door to Bellagio, losing it all back. Uh, you know, this is important because Aria and City Center are 50% owned by Dubai World. Um, the you know this external entity, so it's it's not uh, it's not all equal when it comes to MGM and uh, you know distributing their their profits. So it, it's uh, it's a very difficult time for them, and especially you know you look at you look at some of the so Aria obviously is designed as the centerpiece of City Center, and 
despite the fact that it's had its fair amount of of uh, problems in the opening uh, in the opening months related to technology and some service issues, those do appear to be stabilizing. Um, the casino is still not doing all that great, but that's not because of a lack of volume. The drop has been good. The problem is that their hold percentages have sucked, and um, they've basically just been somewhat unlucky. Uh, but the drop is increasing, and um, you know if, if the trends go where they're supposed to go, the casino could end up being nicely profitable. But you look at some of the other components of City Center, specifically uh, Vidara, the hotel condo tower, and Mandarin Oriental. And Vidara, you know, condo sales obviously haven't been doing all that well. And the people that did buy in are either walking away, trying to negotiate significant discounts, often with some success. And some of these, some of this information details those negotiations and pretty, you know, down to uh, what, who said what at what meeting. And it's, um, it's, it's clear that there's quite a struggle there, especially people that bought multiple units that are now significantly slashing their orders. Um, and then the hotel portion of that, which is just running, you know, at pretty pretty poor occupancy. But then you look at Mandarin Oriental, which many many people um, heralded as uh, a bright spot in city center. Even people that weren't big fans of Aria out of the gate said, "Oh, but you've got to go to Mandarin. You know, it's great. The service is great. The rooms are fantastic." Well, it turns out that Mandarin Oriental is like the biggest black hole. Uh, in terms of cash flow in the entire complex, they're just losing money hand over fist, and uh, they they're separately managed. The uh, the city center pays Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group a a fee uh, to manage the property, and they seem at least up to now somewhat resistant to make significant changes, whether they be reductions in rates or other promotional activities. So it's it's very difficult. Um, it's a very difficult environment that they're in, and they're definitely not firing on all cylinders right now. And it maybe it's a testament to just how complex of a project it is with how many moving parts. Uh, maybe it's um, you know design mistakes that were made that are uh, making Aria and City Center not very attractive for walk-in customers, pedestrians, and people that are checking things out. Or maybe it's a combination of all these things. It's it's a complicated situation, but things are. Things are very difficult over there right now. Um, let's see. So, you know, uh, Chuck, is there anything that we need that we should go over with regards to that situation that we haven't already touched on? I, I think uh, we should just open this thing up. You know, you guys have, have read some of the posts that we put up there. I'm curious if it spurred any discussion for your for y'all. Oh, well, one other thing I'll mention before we do that is just there, you know, Dave, I think you mentioned this today. You know, visitation in July was actually up a little bit. So these, you know, uh, <clears throat> there, there's, um, let's see, I'm looking at the, the data right now. This is uh, up 4.7% over the last year. So if the traffic levels are. Are the bleeding overall on macro level seems to be at least slowing down a little bit, but city center is still hurting. Um, so they can't just blame this on the shitty economy. Well, I would disagree with that. I think that they can blame the the lion's share on the 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 uh, bad economy. Um, 
You know, the, the, and, and, and I'm sure they do. Um, you know, the visitation numbers, um, up four point something percent, uh, 4.7 month, um, year over year, um, for the, for the month of July. You know, I mean, that's sort of deceiving. Extra, extra Saturday during the month. Um, whole bunch of those additional visitors are drive-in customers who aren't exact, that's not exactly city center's demographic. Not to say that they aren't, you know, getting more driver, driving customers than they would have planned or expected. Um, the uh, the visitation numbers since January first, um, and that's the first full month that City Center was uh, largely open. Um, I think they're up like two point seven percent. Maybe a year ago, Murren thought that City Center would be largely responsible for fueling a ten percent. Then he dropped it to seven. Then he dropped it to five um, percent. Um, increase in visitation for the year but a couple problems um you know the economy continues to be very very weak uh and so additional drive-in customers and and they're pretty much lured by aggressive club marketing from all of the uh properties loyalty clubs um you know when they when they find that their rooms are you know only 70% or 80% occupied uh, particularly Harris, but more so. But lately, uh, MGM has joined the fray, and they they reach way down in those player pools to uh, offer people stays with, you know, gaming and amenity discounts or free offers. And so those people coming in, they do spend some money, but um, it's it's definitely still a buyer's market when it comes to folks um, in. Um, when it comes to visitation. So I think the tourism numbers, you know, is it, it's good that they're not continuing a fairly steep rate of decline that they've been on over the last couple of years. But when you look at the scale of the, inve- of the investment in Palazzo, Encore, and City Center, I think that, you know, um, that would have been totally unforeseen a few years ago when I used to talk to executives, whether it was Bill Widener at San- Las Vegas Sands or Steve Wynn. I mean, everybody was foreseeing just almost an, um, un- uh, an unlimited number of people willing to spend $300 a yeah, night more. Jeff, Jeff, I mean, look, Bellagio is doing okay. Why, uh, why isn't Aria doing okay? Well, I mean, when you say Bellagio is doing okay, I mean I think that Bellagio is not doing. I mean, look at the look at the numbers from for Bellagio compared to what Bellagio was doing three years ago or so, two and a half years ago. But it's ago. doing better than Aria. Well, sure it is, and I think you know when when and I agree with you. You said that Aria was planned to be its best property. I think that the folks responsible for designing and planning it. Um, always thought that no one, uh, to the best of my knowledge, no one ever said Aria is going to be our, you know, number one best property. Uh, the, in my, to my recollection, they always said 
Bellagio and Aria will be will both be right. and certainly certainly their financial interest isn't to make you know to have Aria um, sort of repeat what Bellagio did to Mirage I mean if you remember when when Bellagio opened in uh, at the end of 1998 um it cannibalized a significant portion of the best business from right. the Mirage. Right. Um, they, you know, they obviously don't have an interest in doing that, and they said that they were not going to do it. They wanted to try and steal business from Wynn and Caesar's Palace and you know Venetian Palazzo. And the problem is that you know everybody is aggressively competing to keep and steal market share, and. A lot, you know, they just have not been the. You know, they anticipated when they designed and built this place that that pool was going to continue growing. It's shrunk, um, and so you know what's keeping them. You know what, what has been marginally successful for Bellagio and for Wynn and Encore in particular has been their Macau connection, where they've been able to bring um, Baccarat players in from Asia, and so the places that have a strong Baccarat presence have been slightly insulated from the more significant downturn in all the other gaming lines, slots, blackjack, craps, roulette, all those. Um, you know, if you look at gaming minus Baccarat, um, the, ga- the gaming numbers have been, you know, poor as well. And so, yeah, Aria has underperformed and there, and there has, you know, tinkering, you know, and adjustments have been needed. But look at some of, I mean, the biggest miscalculation there was the condo problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you take, if you strip away the condo problem, um, you know, the spending on the condos, and if you just had a hotel casino and maybe a separate tower, give Mandarin Oriental, um, I think the problems are significantly fewer and smaller. Um, so, you know, that's the big problem is that there just has been no condo market. That was a huge miscalculation. And that's one, um, you know, I always like to say how nobody really anticipated the problems that were going to come up over the last couple of years. And I think that's largely true. But one exception is condos. And and Boyd Gaming, condos were not supposed to be a part of Echelon. Um, Wynn, Steve Wynn, um, said that um, he didn't want condo owners on his property because it it inhibits his ability to redevelop in the future. Um, You know, the other operators, particularly MGM and um, Sheldon Adelson, um, those guys did believe in condos. So that's the big miscalculation there. Um, So when you combine that with the bad economy, I think that's largely responsible. And sure, have there been misestimations? You know, your your, um, three-part series laid out a number of things, and they're trying to tinker with them. You know, when Steve Wynn opened Wynn, um, you know, he had to – he totally changed out – a restaurant. Obviously, he closed Labette and uh, and you know converted it into Trist, which went from being an abysmal failure into you know the most um, the biggest dollar earning club um, outside of uh, Tao in in town. So you know it's it, it, properties do um, go through a shakeout period where they figure out what is and isn't working um, there are a lot of problems I can see that there are a lot of problems with city center and I've always been skeptical about some of the problems 
the setback of the property, the lack of a huge um, tourist drawing um, attraction, um, the look of the properties, um, you know, and I, I would say the lack of a strip marquee. You know, there's a number of things that I think that, you know, if I got to make the call, I would have done differently. But, you know, I don't think that it's um, – I don't think that I, – I still think that the largest – significant problems are the condo the condo element in the economy with other mistakes coming in behind that well i would also add on top of this dave in your story that you did for uh, vegas 7 a while back you i believe you asked Murin and maybe also baldwin about you know what as you were, they were developing city center as the economy soured what did you guys do in that period to redesign your concept, refine your concept to uh, meet the new reality? And I believe that the answer was, well, we changed some menu prices. Yeah I'm, gonna punch up, yeah, I'm going to punch up my original notes now from my interview with Jim Murren, so just give me one second here. In the meantime, I'm going to gently rebut um, – Something that Jeff said, I found the quote from Jim Murren in February of 2006. He said that even before it was named Aria, the 4,000-room casino resort at the center of city center, before it was going to be in mid-range, now it would be positioned, quote, as the leading hotel project in town. So at that point, I believe they were trying to position it above Bellagio. In their marketing materials, they they often list properties in a certain order, and it's they sometimes they're not explicit about you know we this is our top property, but you can tell that when Bellagio is first and Circus Circus is last, <laughs> that it's sort of the order of the pecking order internally. And Aria, um, at least for a time, and I don't have these things in front of the recent ones, but they definitely were putting. Aria right there at the very top. I, I don't disagree with that, Dave. What I'm saying is that um, I and many other journalists in town explicitly asked that question um, because it seemed like such an obvious problem for either Aria or Bellagio um, because of the cannibalization um, history when companies have opened a new property at a pecking order level higher than their previous top property. And so at least for a couple years, now I'm not going as far back as 2006, and and I'm sure in their minds um, and in their internal discussion, they expected Aria to break out at the top. They probably hoped it would break out and compete with Wynn Encore to be the best property in town and top Bellagio, obviously, at the same time. But what what they said publicly, at least in for a couple years before opening, is that no, they're going to be um, positioned. Um, they're going to be positioned the same on a parallel plane, and they were going to attempt to take customers from everywhere except for, except Bellagio. They admitted that obviously some Bellagio customers will go over there because almost everybody likes to try the new place. Um, but but they, they at least for a couple of years, they did not say that. Um, but I think you're right that internally they hoped and expected that it would slot in ahead of Bellagio. Yeah, and I found my quote from uh, Jim Murren. I asked him... 
my question was verbatim, given that the market changed from when City Center was conceived to when it opened, how did the project evolve to meet the new marketing additions? The answer I got was we had to be careful not to change too much. We would have lost ourselves if we did. We would not build it in phases. How could you do that? That just doesn't work. We would not compromise in the quality of materials. This will stand the test of time. We've seen companies do that, try to compromise in the past, and you know we knew we couldn't do that. We could compromise the scope, though. We could change some venues within the complex. We could change the price points of food and beverage, change menu items to be more responsive, look at the hours, look at ways to conserve energy and costs. We could make some changes in operation, but design and construction changes were almost non-existent. And if we, we knew that if we could finish in time and with quality, we'd be okay. So actually, I think that you're – that's great because there's like all kinds of stuff that we can unpack in that answer that is just fascinating. So a couple of things. Um, part in, in, in part of that answer, you see exactly what they're doing, which is basically trying to reduce the hours of the employees, take away uh, – reduce the hours of the restaurants, take away some of the expensive food items, basically reduce cost, reduce cost, reduce cost, reduce cost. They're trying to get as much of that stuff out of it as they can. But there's a couple things in there that I just don't really understand. He's, he he – has and I've heard him say this before, where he rejects the notion of building in phases. Uh, I don't I don't understand why that's such a ridiculous idea. Bellagio added a tower after the fact. Uh, Win added Encore after the fact. Um, you know, it doesn't seem impossible to master plan city center out of the gate. Build maybe you do build the support facilities to integrate later parts afterwards, but hey, what if Vidara didn't exist today? Would they still build it? I doubt it. What if the Harmon wasn't there? They probably wouldn't build it. Why would that have been such a bad idea? I don't understand why he says it's impossible to make a staged construction situation work. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, I don't get that, especially since he had Bobby Baldwin right with him, who was the point guy in Bellagio, and you also just acquired the Mandalay Resort Group properties, which includes Mandalay Bay, which did just that. You know, right. they started with a three thousand room hotel, added the luxury non casino tower. So and yeah, the convention center. Yeah. And I'm I'm just yeah, I'm just not so sure where that's coming from. I believe that he believes it. I don't know why I don't I I'd like to get some more documentation <laughs> on that from him to kind of say, okay, sh- prove this to me instead of just telling me. I think the reasons why they didn't want to build in phases is because of the condo owners. They didn't want to disrupt people's lives with the sound of all of the yakety yak, yak yak, banging and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, they wanted everything to be built and out, and so people would buy them, buy these condos now to fund the building of the whole damn thing. That's right. That's exactly right. It's the condos. They wanted to strike while the iron was hot. They thought that the condo market, you know, they so grossly estimated that market. Um, they grossly overestimated the market. And, um, they, you know, when you, when you look at what they um, had first thought of, and then they said, okay, two Veer Towers, half of Mandarin Oriental, half of Harmon, and Vidara. I mean, it's just... I mean, you know, now looking back, it almost seems sort of insane, um, given what we know, given what we know about the condo market. But back then, there was just there was a strong disagreement in the industry. But I think that um, a, a lot of folks and the MGM people, obviously, you know, went for it hook, line, and sinker. They thought, hey, this is like what a great business model. You end up 
um, getting, you know, building these things, selling them for a significant profit, you get, you know, money, you get these deposits that allow the banks to fund the construction and, and, you know, that also helps you lever that money to help build your, you know, your centerpiece hotel and the retail and all that other stuff. You know, if the condo market had, um, you know, washed out the way they thought, you know, the project would probably be a, a, a great big success. But obviously, that didn't happen. But Chuck is exactly right. That's why they wanted to do it all at once. I mean, I'm sure ego played into it as well. You build a 4,000 room hotel, and even if it's beautiful and designed by Cesar Pelli or, you know, um, you know, you get some oomph from that, but I don't think you get the oomph of, be, of, you know, hammering home. It's the world's biggest private construction project in history. You know, it's, uh, you know, seven or eight or nine or, you know, billion dollars. Um, and, you know, there's some ego involved. Ob- obviously, if you look at the way that property was, the advanced public relations were uh, laid out. So I would say those two things, the, you know, the condo element and, uh, and uh, which, in retrospect, seems the obvious thing to leave out, and and uh, ego. Yeah, I don't understand to this day still who's going to want to live on the strip. I don't see why anyone would want to live within literally, you know, a stone's throw of a hustling, bustling tourist area. You can't drive in. You can't get out. You're kind of stuck there half the time. There's no supermarkets or markets. You're going to have to go to, you know, CVS to, to, to buy grapefruits for your Stoli Greyhound. You know, I don't, I don't see, I, I think the, the entire concept beyond uh, the, the, uh, the implosion of the real estate market, the entire concept of giving so much space to a very, very small, uh, a thing that very few people are going to find desirable. Just, it seems like a complete and total miscalculation. Absolutely. I think if, if they were smart, they would completely cut the cord on Vidara as a, as a condo tell and just turn that thing into V hotel, make that thing just, just refit the rooms to make them really, really luxurious. Uh, knock out the walls so they're twice the size and charge three times the money for people to stay there. And make it just a, a very exclusive, very expensive uh, uh, property. And maybe take the Vidara name off of it. Just call it Aria's like another tower of Aria or something. You know, they're managing their their... They're incurring their own costs by having another brand they have to manage. They have a whole team that deals with convention bookings just for that. They have a whole team that deals with this, that, and the other. You know, they get the, 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 the physical plants of these properties and really put them together in terms of people, manpower, and branding. And it just does not make any sense to me. It seems like they bit off way more than they can chew. And until they really make some drastic changes, and that could be you know, shutting down Vidara – Cutting the cord on Mandarin Oriental, who knows? Uh, they're going to continue to flounder and and potentially really uh, screw the the few bright lights that they are having there. Yeah, 
It's funny with, with, when you look at when you look at these properties that have that have condos. Um, anyone who really thought that it was going to create some kind of vibrant Manhattan type of place where people actually live in their units, um, most people I don't think, unless they were once again insane, really yeah. believe that that would happen. I think that maybe some like Manhattan Manhattan type people hope for something. <clears throat> further along the continuum toward that but you could look back at the at the original condos built um the nice condos um built on the strip um those ones uh behind fontainebleau um that uh and and you look at turnberry all the different turnberry projects (laughs) and you know, they they sold them all. I mean, the mar- you know the market was pretty strong for them for the first five six years. Um, people, you know, the values of those places appreciated. Um, the the same thing with the uh, properties across the across the Interstate 15. Um, those three towers there, and I can't remember for right now what the name of those three are, but. Um, Panorama. Panorama. Panorama, exactly. Um, and so you had this, you know, before um, a lot of these um, strip towers were planned, the ones at MGM and the, the one, the, the, you know, the only partially finished one at Venetian Palazzo, and, and we'll, we'll include the Palms Tower. You had, you had the ability to look at what happened with um, Turnberry um, and you go by there on any night, and and there's practically no lights on. Right. I mean, the place, yeah, maybe they're all sold, and the developer did well on the project, but it's not a vibrant living community. These are second and third and, you know, <laughs> or more um, right. residences for people who have loads and loads of cash. Um, and, you know, uh, you know the, there was a question, certainly, about how deep the pool of people willing to buy those kind of residences. I mean, is Panorama inferior to the the, the condo development at, at at City Center? Probably. I mean, if people at Panorama, I mean, I mean not Panorama or Turnberry, could if they could trade their property for it exactly, um, you know, for the exact same floor plan at Mandarin Oriental or Veer or whatever, would they do it? They, you know, I mean, probably they would. It seems like a superior location. The problem was that the the problem is that there just isn't that deep of a pool for people who want second and third, right. you know, residences in Las Vegas. Well, and I think on top of that, sort of along the lines of Chuck, what you were saying is, you know, there might be people, there might be people that want to live in Orlando, but nobody wants to live inside Disney World. Like it just, it doesn't, yeah. it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Even these yeah. things that are a little bit sort of near the Strip, so you get a killer view, but you have you know access to the rest of the normal city. Like you can drive your car without having to, you know, get it pounded on by a guy with a three foot margarita. Um, it's you know it's just it just doesn't make sense and it uh, I don't know at this point you know Veer is what like half half sold maybe less I mean oh less let's put some offices in there get some people in there you know rent some of that space out uh, well you know, to do with some of that stuff. 
you know, offices. I mean, this market has so much undeveloped, un, unused, you know, good quality office space. I mean, it's just not the right, right. time to do anything. That's a bad else. idea too. So I don't know. Just you know, <laughs> implode. Got to well, implode. Got to well, My, my idea they, that I. I think I said on here before is they really should have gone whole hog with the artist thing and say, Hey, if you want this to be an artsy Manhattan thing, get some real world-class artists in there, give them loft space, basically give away stuff in Veer for them to live. And, you know, you could get people to move here from LA or Manhattan. They could, they could live here. They could show their work. They could sell their work, you know, try to lure some high profile art agents here you know, go with that. If that's what your identity is, this whole art thing, then go with it. Then that's what it is. You know, and then you also might have wanted to name the main hotel, you know, Palette or something besides <laughs> Easel. Easel or Impressionism. I don't know. Um, if, I can, if I can kind of talk a little bit about the whole urban design question, this is something from the start they've kind of – we've been beaten over the head with, well, it's going to have an urban design and we've got Jim Murren's minor in urban planning, you know, trottle out again and again and again. And as somebody who's written a book about the development of casino resorts on what I call the suburban space of the Las Vegas Strip, I found this very interesting. And, you know, essentially, if you've read Suburban's Anadu, you know that I believe that casinos are essentially suburban institutions. They're like shopping malls. You go there, you go in, you don't come out until you're done. It's not like you know, downtown Vegas in the 30s where you wander from place to place. That's for a reason. It's because they have, you know, because the house advantage, you need time for that to take effect. So you don't want people leaving and wandering around and winning $10 million and then going over to Bellagio. That's why they don't do that. You know, and really that's what we got. It's still an integrated casino. It's pretty much Mandalay Bay with the volume turned up. You know, you've got the main casino tower you've got a luxury non-casino hotel tower you've got some shopping you've got convention space you know i mean they pretty much do the same thing so i think when you compare the original premise of city center which was going to be a soho-esque environment with brownstones and lofts and all that kind of stuff we got something really quite different that's definitely true i mean reality you know came in at some point to at least, at least, imagine what a disaster it would have been if that original vision had been pushed through. I mean, it would be an even bigger disaster because you know, sort of creating a uh, creating a city and city culture out of thin air, it just does not work. These things have to be done organically, and it, it you know, so at least it wasn't maybe as bad as it could have been. I mean, you could have had you know empty storefronts and, you know, just and buildings that were just empty completely. Um, it, it could have been a total disaster. Um, but one th- oh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say one thing that would be sort of amusing would be to sort of, you know, I, I like Dr. Dave's, uh, you know, sort of comparison to a blown out Mandalay Bay. If you did a side-by-side comparison, well, first of all, you could probably plunk most of city center into um, a, a an urban, a sophisticated urban metropolis. And, you know, the buildings would be interesting looking. Absolutely. They wouldn't be insane in that context, but Mandalay Bay would look pretty insane 
in a, in a, and that's my word of the day, by the way. But it would look really <laughs> out of place in Boston, you know, to have yeah, yes. a Mandalay Bay Tower and <laughs> some of the other things. But then look at some of the other comparisons. Cost. Mandalay Bay, the original tower, just about a billion. Adding the hotel and the convention center, less than a billion. Um, you know, now the, you know, the developers, uh, you know, Mike Ensign and Bill Richardson, they were very, very astute at building, you know, good looking stuff that sort of skimps on the, on the true luxury elements, but looks really good. And they did a fantastic job with that property. If you look at, you know, the, the entertainment aspects, you know, Aria still just has one show. Um, and by all accounts, not a very good one. Um, Viva Elvis, um, and obviously that's up to taste. Um, Mandalay, um, you know, it had sort of a troubled musical at the start, Chicago, that, you know, people all around the country had had plenty of opportunity to see. But then they had Mamma Mia, and then they, and they followed that up with The Lion King. You know, by all accounts, pretty darn successful shows. Um, they also have The Shark Reef. Um, and they, um, you know, they have that separate House of Blues component. You know, um, Aria did go a little more. Um, they emphasized clubs. But, you know, Mandalay has its own with Mix and Foundation Room and House of Blues. Um, they, you know, they did close Rum Jungle, but they have Red Square. Uh, you know, Mandalay Bay um, has never been a big gambling money winning or gambling winning casino. Um, it wasn't Mandalay's greatest strength. Um, you know, they came from a slot grind company at, at Circus Circus, which won plenty of money from gambling, almost all their money from gambling. But Glenn Schaefer and the guys who are running Mandalay, they made it into a hotel um you know, it was really making money from their hotel rooms and their other amenities, convention center and other things. Aria spent so much more for their other elements, even if you carve out the condos. Um, so it's the kind of a property that has to make Bellagio and Wynn style money from all the revenue streams. They have to make big, big gambling money. They have to make high hotel room rates. They have to kick ass on the food and beverage front. Um, so all those things, you know, are very, very tough to do. So I think Dr. Dave, when he sets that comparison up, um, it sort of shows, you know, what a gamble this property was. Um, and then, you know, when you layer the, you know, the horrible condo decision, um, you know, it, it does look like, you know, there were, you know, some fairly dramatic um, errors in judgment made um, when they planned and executed the property. It's just, I mean, you, they they were somewhat bold in their in their planning, but then there were other places where they were so the opposite of bold. They got all the same chefs from Bellagio. They got them in the room. They said, "Hey, we're opening this incredible new resort next door. Do you guys want to op- you know put up your shingle and just start you know part two of your restaurant?" They went back to their main entertainment provider. Which, you know, I love Cirque du Soleil. They're great. But, man, they were kind of sputtering a little bit at that point. They had done the Chris Angel thing. Maybe there's, you know, maybe it's time to try something new and do something different and really redefine that and be a leader with the next generation. Find the next Cirque du Soleil. Don't, you know, that horse is tired. Let's do something different. Let's bring in some different chefs. Let's, 
they they played it so safe on some of these internal decisions. And, you know, Viva Elvis is doing okay, but not very well. I mean, they're seeing like 15-60% um, sell-through rates for their average shows. I mean, that's not very high. It's not making anywhere near the kind of money that established shows like O make. And their, their restaurants, you know, Bar Masa, okay, great, that guy is like sushi master, but apparently nobody wants to go and have an $800 meal. So it doesn't work. <laughs> they, they just, yeah, man, they really, they really could have done some new and interesting things, but they, they, they played some of those things a little bit too safe, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's going to bite them a little bit. Regarding the food, Hunter, you bring up a great point. You know, the content of the book, uh, they, they decided to, you know, create a new book with this new imagined casino resort thing. But the content is the same that's in a lot of all the other previous stuff, you know, as you just outlined perfectly. And something that should be noted, in the past three or four years – uh, the the world's awareness of culinary stuff, people, chefs, different types of food has exploded by a millionfold. You know, as evidenced by you know a, a, a reality show cooking competition winning you know an Emmy award last week. Uh, you know, Tom Colicchio is a household word. Nobody would have known that even. You know, three or four years ago, uh, and because they decided to kind of just part and parcel slip the chefs over from Bellagio, you know, they left a whole level of top level people talent waiting to be snagged by somebody else, and the Cosmopolitan has done it. They snag, you know, they got Jose Andres, they got Scott Conant, you know, they, they, the, the, the quality of people who are coming into that property, chefs, is, is phenomenal, you know, for foodies. And if you're, people are more excited about going to, to the Cosmopolitan for that than, than Aria, you know, for that very reason. Now, one other thing I'd like to tack on to here in terms of uh, amusement while we're do, playing a little conjecture is uh, I put a post up last night, this morning. Uh, one of our readers did a complete and total reimagining of the uh, uh, city center plot and moved all the buildings around and totally redrew the whole thing. And it is, if you haven't seen it yet, I urge you to go take a look at this thing. I've, I've put some, like, Jim Hearn's original drawings and the first uh, electronic renderings into the post as well. But uh, what what this guy Steve came up with is pretty tremendous. He he's fi- kind of figured out the whole thing. Uh, he's taken the footprints of the buildings and rearranged them in a, in a very elegant way. But he's removed like uh, you know some of the the boners here, Veer Towers particularly. One of the more striking things about that design is. He, he basically, through that reimagining, he asked a good question. Why the hell does Mandarin Oriental get strip frontage? It doesn't make any sense. Mandarin is like a destination luxury hotel. People would go there if it was anywhere on that property. But they put it right there on the street. It has no gaming component. Same with the Harmon. I mean, they, they made these decisions that, that, that don't really seem to make very much sense. I think they yeah. did that t- to... Uh, to for the for the retail rate of the uh, condos on the top floor, so they get the lush view. Man, condos yeah. are like let's. They made the whole thing burn in hell. Condos are like the worst decision ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, you know if you're looking at it from an urban planning sort of point of view, 
you have to look at the rest of the urban environment. What's around it? Well, let's see. Next to Mandarin Oriental, we have a CVS. We have Monte Carlo. Across the street, we've got Hawaiian Village. You know, now what are you going to put right there? Are you going to put the most exclusive brand probably in the strip? No. You know, furthermore, how does that, you know, having that there, how does, how well does that integrate with the foot traffic? You know, not well at all. They've got the little patisserie where you can get, um, like an $8 gelato, which nobody's <laughs> going to get because they sell the same gelato for six fifty inside Aria. And there's really not much there that you can kind of, that somebody who just is in Vegas and walking around and wants to have fun and wants to spend a little money, there's really nothing for him to do. Right. No. You know, you, so when I saw this, you know, what Steve suggested is something that I've been saying for a couple of months is, yeah, Mandarin Oriental should have been built next to Bellagio, handle some of the overflow from the ultra high-end stuff for Bellagio. And then when he talked, when his idea having that uh, Mandarin Oriental Bellagio expansion thing there, I said, hey, what if they took the high-end, you know, the sort of salon privé stuff out of Aria and put it there? And that's your gaming component, and that ties into Bellagio, and you're yeah. kind of doing that. I I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool, but good work from Steve. Yeah, you mean, that, that would be that, cool. that. That would be fascinating to turn that into like the James Bond casino for real. You know, the the real you need to wear a tuxedo to come in here and play. That would be awesome. Yeah, and then also if you're looking at it from an urban from an urban urban environment, you've got a neighborhood there. Like that's the fancy neighborhood. Where some people can't afford to go, but then you've got the neighborhood where everyone can afford to go right out front where everybody's going. You know, and it, I, architecturally, I think it could do a better job of transitioning from Monte Carlo, which is kind of the faux architecture. Then we have those very urban, you know, Howard Work, urban realist, you know, heroic modern stuff, and then back to the faux European stuff. You know, I think they could have done a better job integrating it with what's around it. I don't know. Those, I don't. The master plan people for city center was a Gensler or somebody. I don't know. Man, I don't know how much yeah. they got paid. It was probably millions of bucks. They should have just taken this. They would have been. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, somebody needs to get their money back because this has yeah. not worked out the way it was supposed to. Work. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked for a long time about city center. And it's going to basically be the entire show. But there's one important thing that we haven't talked about, which is what's going to happen next. Um, there's a couple a couple things that we need to consider. One is you know the numbers themselves, the the um, actions that are being taken. We know that the company is working very hard to cut costs, but that will only take them so far. They also are going to need to increase visitation. Now, part of that may just be a function of the improving economy. Um, but what I'm wondering, I want to ask a couple of questions here. One is. What else can they do to bring people in at this point? And then the other question I want to ask is, is there going to be long-term fallout from this? Is anybody going to lose their job over this? And how can uh, you know somebody like Jim Murren, who is very publicly tied to this project, can he survive uh, an extended period of, I'm going to say difficulty just to be kind, uh, for, the, for the property? So let's start with um, what can they do? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, they've been they've been pretty aggressive with their promotions. They're trying to bring people in. Um, obviously, they can't control the macro economy, uh, and it may end up may end up saving them. But um, what else could they do to try to appeal to uh, customers that maybe aren't interested 
in art. I mean, obviously, they're not going to change the buildings at this point, not substantially. Um, I don't know. Chuck, what do you think about that? Oh, boy. The list is pretty long. Well, give, um, me, give me your top two. Okay, my top two, and this is even after looking at their action list of all all the things that they are planning on doing. Hosting uh, important bloggers, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah. Number one is uh, uh, the same thing that I kind of was screaming about last time, is just have the employees concentrate on giving visitors the best service possible. Uh, just please and thank you. Smile. Sure. What can I get you? How can I help you? Yes. Have people know the answers to uh, getting places. Get everything fixed that isn't working right. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you do that, you're going to fall into the goodwill of people. People are going to be happy to go there. When people are happy to go there, they're going to spend money. And then they're also, when they get home, they're going to tell their friends, hey, I had a good time here. You should go check it out. We all make our decisions, all our travel decisions, all our buying decisions, all every decision we make practically, we consult someone. We talk with people. We talk with our friends. We talk with our neighbors or relatives. We talk with strangers. We read online reviews. You name it. If you make your customers happy, everything else is going to follow. The second thing would be uh, some structural fixes, wayfinding. Make it so you people know when they come in, when they're walking into the door of the crystals that the casino they know is that way. You want to go to the casino? That way. You want to go to the restaurants? That way. Uh, only people who follow this. Or let me flip this around. 99% of the people who are going to walk down the strip and go to Aria or go to any casino, they expect that the first building they are walking into is either going to be a short shopping promenade or the casino floor. That's just the way it is. They don't look at this building and say, hmm, what is that? All the lights are off. Is it open? Is it is that the hotel and the casino? No, it's a condo. It's two tilting condos. Oh, that one's a condo too. They don't know, you know, that you expect all this stuff to be kind of closer to the street. So teach people, learn them. The casino is there this way, you know, and put a put a even if you have to put a sign saying these are residences, the residences at Veer or whatever, you know, so people know when they look at it. Oh, that's a, that's not. A, you know, the lights are not off because this place is closed. The lights are off because nobody lives there they or nobody's put up home. Photos of the people that can't afford to finish paying for their condos and just be like, it's this person's fault. Or do or do one of those home alone things and get some <laughs> cardboard things going yeah, back right. and forth back <laughs> it so people can imagine that there's people inside of these they buildings. At least turn the lights on. Put the lights on timers or something. Turn the lights on, on. you know. Yeah, put uh, old Circus Circus furniture in there, you know, storage, you know, host some bloggers in there for tweet-up parties. Who knows? Yeah, those would probably be my first two things. All right. If I can jump yeah, in here, what's Jay, this hosting hosting high-profile bloggers? The reason that the reason I mention that is yeah. because in in one of these action plans, it says it's it's talking about things that they're doing. They're reporting back to the executive team, and it says there's this one sentence that says hosting high-profile bloggers, and it puts bloggers in quotes in double quotes. It just, in the it, restaurants, it just yeah. Struck me in as the restaurants. Very funny yeah. way of yeah. writing it, and I don't. I guess they're talking about like John Curtis. I'm not really sure who they're referring really? to. Really. Yeah. But it's, yeah. just, it's just funny how they say bloggers in double quotes, like bloggers aren't real or bloggers. Are yeah, real. it's just very funny the way that they present it. In the yeah. And is that part of a bigger strategy to get you know 
better media coverage? Yes. Are they yeah. saying we're going to blow off, you know, the Times travel critic? and well, uh, folks oh, they on- have some of that in there, too. Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> yeah. they're courting everybody. I mean, they, yeah. If you look at this list, they, like, went to, like, you know, Cat Fancy Magazine and asked if they wanted to come and, you know, <laughs> come to the restaurants. I mean, they, they, they seem like they're actually being fairly aggressive. And, you know, one of the results of that is this crap thing that, Dave, you sent me is MSNBC World Cup <laughs> and Party Hotels. Aria is number one. I don't know why yeah. they went to, but it was, you know, this is like, looks like some kind of, mar- this is one of those things where you just like scratch your head and just wonder how much it costs to be number one, because yeah. it just doesn't make any sense in reality. I mean, Aria may, you know, from what I hear, actually, Hayes, the nightclub is actually doing pretty well, but to say it's the number one party hotel, I guess, in the world is ludicrous. I mean, come on. It just doesn't, it's no, that doesn't, that doesn't work at all. So yeah, they, it's just they, ridiculous. They've bunch, uh, done a bunch of other kind of promotions with Condé Nast, uh, and they've hosted like a bunch of Condé Nast parties, free gratis and for nothing, and in, in return in all of the Condé Nast traveler magazines and on their travel blogs, etc., you know, they get a lot of favorable, you know, coverage, that kind of thing. So this is the way the traditional media industry kind of rolls. You know, you scratch our back and we'll give you a fake award. <laughs> Basically. So, yeah. okay, before we move on to uh, Will Jim Murr and get fired, I want to ask um, if, you know, Dave or Jeff, if you guys have any, like, top major things that you would recommend, if you were running ARIA, you would do today to try and get people to come in. Yeah, I think I'd try to make it a little bit more accessible to people coming by. i try to get some stuff out there, you know, whether it's in front of the crystals or whatever, just get something there that people can latch onto. Maybe have... You know, vendors with push carts or something, you know, a hot dog stand, something just to say, okay, there's something to do here. Don't, you know, come here. Don't walk past and just try to, I don't know, put down fancy arrows in the ground to get them going in. uh, Rickshaws to, like, take people all the way up to the. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's another real, real, I think it's a place where they really miss the boat. You know, I believe you have to go up some stairs to get there, and you kind of have to go up a grade. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of forbidding. You know, and it's you funny. know, it's not it's not that much further than the walk from Bellagio from the street, but man, it feels further. Yeah, but Bellagio is inside, and, and you've got people shopping, and you've got a big lake on one side. You know, so yeah. I think it's a totally different thing. Same thing with Wynn. I mean, Wynn really consciously designed Wynn to be exclusive and to be off from the strip, and not to do this kind of stuff that Harrison Flamingo does, but. You see people walking over those bridges and going in there from Venetian and fashion show all the time. So, you know, I don't know. You know, given that the building is up and they can't just jack it up on, uh, you know, a uh, dolly and move it over. A couple of <laughs> they, could, they could make it an attraction <laughs> and put, like, Japanese um, infantry snipers along the way. <laughs> people would think it was, like, the Bataan Death March. <laughs> um <laughs> The, the two things that I would that I would recommend one is on the financial side. I think that uh, MGM has been and should continue their uh, Harris style, Harris inspired, uh, um, you know, thre- threatening borrowers to uh, you know making them redo the terms of their debt so that it's delayed and reduced. Um, and uh, you know, Harris has done a you know really great job 
you know, from Hera's perspective at that, uh, maybe not if you bought Hera's unsecured debt, um, but, but MGM should do the same thing. Um, MGM should, uh, they should use whatever money they get. Um, they already, you know, sold the land underneath Borgata. They need to sell the rest of their Atlantic City assets, including their half share of Borgata. They should take that money, um, you know, any other money that they can find under the uh, couches in their suites and uh, and buy out Dubai World. Um, I think that, you know, they will have achieved, um, you know, they, they, they got Dubai World to buy at the peak and invest at the peak. <clears throat> and so if they can get Dubai World to buy high and sell low, that would really reduce, um, you know, MGM Resorts. Um, total cost of the project. It would also mean that they receive every dollar that the, from an eventual upside um, when they actually can, you know, sell the condos for whatever they get um, and get the hotel performing as well as possible. So on the financial side, that's what I would have them do. <clears throat> on the marketing side, I think they need to abandon pretense with the yes. marketing of that property. I think yes. that um, they need to be blunt, um, simple, direct. Um, let people, you know, in every walk of life around the country know that it's the biggest and newest property, um, you know, in in Las Vegas. Um, that, you know, and that, now, you know, Cosmopolitan is going to open, but just ignore that. And, and you know, pretty much it's going to be the, the last big thing to, you know, on the strip for quite a long time, um, Hunter, you had a good um, a good thing in your uh, three part series about that. I forget what they called it, like new for 10 years. newest, yeah, newest or new for ten years, and that's really true. It's such a huge advantage when you think back when Win opened Win Las Vegas. Um, you know, they had that huge period all the way until Palazzo opened when that was the, not just the newest, but also the best property. Um, and what a huge advantage. And Wynn was lucky enough that that coincided with the most robust period of, um, you know, gambling and other revenue streams in the history of Las Vegas. Um, now, you know, obviously we're, we're way down at the bottom here, but if they can do that, and the economy does rebound. Those are some ifs, but they would be positioned to capitalize. And uh, so I think, you know, get rid of Dubai World, re- you know, reduce and extend their debt and do a much better job of marketing. They really, you know, I, there are so many people who don't know anything about City Center. You know, for us, we we don't really remember how how infrequently people travel to Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas meat and potato visitors, drive-in customers may come more often than once every year or two. But fly-in customers, a lot of those folks don't even come every year. They come every two or three years. And so City Center really could do a much better job. MGM could do a better job advertising, marketing the, you know, what they have there. Because I think it's still, when you look at the hotel and some of the other things, it's it's a great hotel. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not, you know, there are obviously a lot of negatives, but they have to, you know, do their best to get people in there and willing to spend some money. Let me, yeah, I, you know, I agree. I mean, let me put it this way. I've had problems with Aria, 
But I would rather stay in Aria than like any hotel I've ever stayed in in San Francisco, for instance. I mean, it, you know, it's it's uh, it's just it, there are definitely some issues, and I, I know I've been hard on some of its problems, but um, it, it's got a lot going for it if they can fix some of these things. But I, before we close out for the day, I want to move on to the last top, the last little question, which is. You know, is anybody that's at MGM likely to lose their job over this? And that's obviously a very difficult thing to gauge. For a long time, MGM had a majority shareholder in Kirk Kerkorian. His his share is no longer majority, but he still has a you know significant uh, voting stake. Um, and he's a know, dominant shareholder. Dominant is a very good way to put it. I mean, you know, it's hard, it would be hard to imagine that uh, any decision would be made without his blessing. Um, and he seems to have faith in Jim Murn, at least up until this point. Um, you know, we, we now have other players uh, on the scene. We have Dubai World. We have um, some, uh, you know, some private equity folks that are now buying into uh, MGM in, in amounts that are significant. Uh, you know, as Murn has really worked hard to identify himself with City Center, um, is he now got a target on his back? Is is this potentially going to mean he will have to, you know, move on to uh, to his next opportunity? Uh, Jeff, you you have a lot of experience in this. I'm going to ask you to respond. You know, I think that it all comes down to Kirk Kerkorian. I mean, you know, he's no spring chicken. He uh, is, uh, you know, I think he, you know, I, I really don't remember his exact age, but I'm thinking 90 or more. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, uh, you know, so obviously, uh, you know, that isn't a situation that's going to last forever. And um, I think... Um, his relationship with Kerkorian, whatever, what are Kerkorian's plans? You know, Kerkorian's history, and Dave certainly can back me up on this. Um, he built, he built the International, now the Hilton, and had to sell it pretty quickly. Built um, the MGM Grand, now Bally's, sold that pretty quick. Um, you know, then he built the MGM Grand, um, and uh, here in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, did a lot of acquisitions and then built City Center. Um, you know, he's, he's certainly been willing to move in and out of the industry before. He does have a fairly long stretch of being involved, dating to 1993. So that's 17 years, cer- certainly his longest stretch in the business. But, you know, I mean, what are his estate planning considerations or anything else? Do I think Jim Murren um, has set himself up to potentially be um, blamed for a catastrophic failure were it to happen? Probably, but I think that there's others in that team who, uh, certainly Bobby Baldwin, I mean, if Jim Murren, you know, you could certainly see, you know, Jim Murren pointing Bobby Baldwin's way. Um, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the Harmon and some of those other things, um, you know, the choice of contractor or whatever else. And I, you know, I don't know in the boardroom of that company who really made all those decisions. The people on the board do. Um, so I got to think that ob- those are the two obvious choices. Um, Bill McBeth, 
Um, another guy who, you know, you looked at the way MG, or Win or I'm sorry, Mirage Resorts used to run their executives. Um, you had uh, Mark, you had Baldwin, Mark Shore, Bill McBeth, Scott Sabella, and they had they sort of moved up the pecking order when one of them, you know, when a new hire job would open up. And so I could also see Macbeth on the chopping block, at least when it comes to, you know, if Murren wants to try and, uh, you know, make you know, make a point by going, cutting the folks beneath him, you know, Baldwin and Macbeth certainly would be susceptible because there's probably a perception Macbeth is more Baldwin's guy than his guy. And uh, those two have been the most closely associated with City Center other than for its, you know, its inspiration and what it was designed to be, which Murren has maybe foolishly claimed credit for. My favorite conspiracy theory about this is that Bobby Baldwin knew this was going to fail, went along <laughs> with it because he wants to run the company and basically let Murren go along saying, yeah, it's a great idea, buddy. Yeah, you should totally claim credit for that. It's a totally great idea. And that, you know, he's been uh, sort of Machiavellian about the whole thing and he's planning to take control. That sounds a little bit out there for me. That's not That's not what Bobby's he's like. Dude, Dave, yeah. Dave's, Dave's talked to him. He's not that kind of a guy. It's a funny story. Yeah, I mean, and you guys were there for the opening and probably saw him, you know, running around looking as frazzled and determined as I did. And if that is true, he's a damn good actor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Does anybody else have any thoughts on this idea? I mean, is is Murray going to survive this? You know, I'm, I'm looking at the stock ticker here and compared to LVS and Wynn. Uh, since since all of them seem to have bottomed out in early 2009, uh, this is just the voting of the investors. You know, people have confidence in Win. Uh, people are starting to have a little bit more confidence in in uh, LVS, and this could be just because their Macau operations are more developed. But and their uh, Singapore operation is kicking ass. Yeah. But, uh, you know, MGM's has been basically flat in the trash can since it hit the bottom in what looks like probably like May or, or March of, of the end of the first quarter of 2009. It's been pretty much flatlined, and they've opened their new, uh, you know, historic, groundbreaking, uh, remember to breathe disaster. So I, I think after a period of time, you know, if there's no return on this investment, if the stock just keeps sitting like that, then people on the board who are going to want to vest and get out and or, uh, you know, other large holders are going to probably put some pressure pressure on the management group to, to make a change. And I think that would have something to do with getting Jimbo. I, I think the Kerkorian stake is still big enough, um, even with Paulson and Dubai World's you know, large stake. I think Kerkorian can protect Jim Murren if he chooses to. Um, whether he chooses to or not, you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think that's it, it, it does come down to Kerkorian, um, you know, unless he, you know, extricates himself from his ownership position. Hmm. Um, well, I think unless anybody else has anything to say, I'm going to let that be the last word. And we will. Uh quickly go through our Sure Bets segment and let everybody go on their merry way. Um, For those that aren't uh, familiar, we're going to make some recommendations. Um, This is what we call our our Sure Bets segment. Each one of us gets to uh, pimp something that we might think the audience would be interested in. 
Um, if you guys are ready, we will start. Um, Chuck, do you have something for us today? Uh, my sure bets is this stupid game I got on the iPad called Angry Birds. Oh yeah, which I'm sure everybody and their brother has played. But it's it's this it's this stupid game that's just infinite amount of fun. You're, you catapult these birds at these. Uh, structures to try and knock them down and it's kind of like living out your own little uh, nature version of controlled demolition uh, incorporated so if you've ever been interested in destroying buildings uh, this is a very fun way of kind of doing it it's 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 been a nice time waster for me it's funny my wife has been playing that and uh, so that's how I got into she's it she's addicted to it too so. yeah um, uh, Dave do you have something for us today yeah, I do. I'm going to pick a local Las Vegas restaurant here off the strip. Don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's the Jai Ho or Jai Ho restaurant, J-A-I-H-O. It is an Indian and Chinese fusion restaurant, which is pretty cool stuff. Apparently, it's based on the Chinese food that's made in Calcutta, and it tastes way better than I made it sound. Huh. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, they got a ton of really good Indian entrees and then they also have this kind of Chinese Indian fusion stuff which is something really different so it's kind of cool it's at 9530 Southeastern in a little strip mall they have there that was just written up in Vegas 7 a while ago but it's basically eastern south of the 215 you take the 215 south it's like 3 or 4 blocks south and it's some pretty cool stuff and there's a whole bunch of really neat restaurants in that area there and you know this is one that I went to last week and was really impressed so that's my sure bet for the week nice uh, Jeff, what about you? Um, I'm going to recommend, I'm going to uh, probably foolishly recommend something that I haven't experienced or seen yet, but I've been waiting for. Um, starting this Sunday, for those of you who are HBO subscribers, their uh, new series, Boardwalk Empire. And for uh, any of you Sopranos junkies who've been uh, um, going cold turkey for a few years or watching DVDs of the show... Um, you know, I love, um, I love Atlantic City. Uh, my, uh, grandparents and parents were regular visitors to Atlantic City. They lived in Pennsylvania and that was their families, you know, sort of like, you know, long weekend or week getaway, at least, you know, once a summer, um, among other places. And, uh, my first couple gambling experiences were there back when the, uh, gambling age was 19. And, uh, I love Atlantic City. And now this, uh, predates my age. It's, um, from the twenties, but, um, I've been reading the book, uh, Boardwalk Empire by Nelson Johnson and just bought a book at Borders last night called Last Call The Rise and Fall of uh, Prohibition which is uh, supposed to be a really good book on that era and uh, to me you know the the writer for the show is from The Sopranos he's really good so uh, I have every expectation that it's going to be an awesome series and uh, can't wait for it to start and uh, start a new addiction nice I'm yeah. looking forward to it too um my sure bet this week is going to be a web video show called Put This On. You can uh, visit the website at putthison.com. You can subscribe on iTunes. The show is, uh, they describe it as learning how to dress like a grown-up. And basically, it's sort of basic tips. It's definitely aimed at men, not women. It's basic tips for 
um, you know, ha- where to get high-quality shoes, what kind of shoes you should buy if you're, uh, if you're a guy looking to uh, get some really well-made shoes. Um, there's an episode on, uh, on uh, where, what you should wear to work. It's basically a short 10-minute or so, very well-produced, very well-put-together video episodes. They're very entertaining and well-written. And, you know, they're sort of like uh, quick um, style tips that uh, are not um, really trend-oriented, more sort of like classic kind of uh, general style tips that you might imagine, uh, you know, <clears throat> you might imagine Frank Sinatra showing up on one of these things. I mean, it's just, um, they're sort of timeless and um, entertaining. I uh, They've got three episodes I've seen so far, and um, uh, I am a fan. So I would, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing... Um, get your metrosexual on and uh, go check on check out uh, putthison.com um, it's an interesting uh, little series you can get it for free so I think that's it for today thanks to everybody for being here let me go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you Dr. Dave Schwartz where can people find you yeah you can find me at diescast.com and gaming.unlv.edu Mr. Jeff Simpson you can find me on a uh, hunter's blog at uh two way hard three um and uh and you can occasionally uh find me with a sign uh will work for chocolate <laughs> chips uh meaning those five thousand dollar chips <laughs> at, uh, at the i fifteen intersection with Minka. all right Chuck Monster, where can people find you people can find me. I, you know where to find me. All right. <laughs> People can find me at VegasMate.com. Thanks, and have a great weekend. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, you too. Bye. All right.